Good morning, all you lucky people that live in Colorado. This is Tommy Ray. Welcome to episode five of Laws, Guns, and Money. Before I became deeply involved with water, one of my clients was the largest earth-moving contractor in the U.S. They were Chicago-based and had a fleet of about 400 scrapers, 300 dozers, and other big earth-moving machines. They had to keep that equipment running or they were losing money. In Colorado, I worked with them helping permit a coal mine near Steamboat. As with any good client, I kept my eyes open for business opportunities for them in Colorado. I suggested that they talk to various firms. They asked if I would talk to these firms on their behalf. Of course I would. After about a year, they said to me, we like what you do. Would you let us pay you to do that? Whoa, what a concept. They then asked me to look for bidding opportunities for them across the U.S. They needed really big jobs, anything that would require moving large quantities of dirt, new automotive plants, airport runways, new regional shopping malls, landfills, and other big dirt opportunities. It was the perfect opportunity for me. I loved it. I traveled all over the country looking for work. It was sort of like a half-time job. And they paid me. I learned a lot about what makes this country great. I am fortunate to have traveled the U.S. People all over our country are hardworking, open, and honest. I hadn't realized how big and industrious our country is. I haven't seen very much of the rest of the world, but I can't imagine a better place. The American people are great. We are so fortunate to be Americans. And I learned that people are to you as you are to them. If you approach them in an open and friendly manner, they will be open and friendly back. I met lots of great people. Our urban centers are the heartbeat of America. If urban centers are the heartbeat, then the rural areas and farming are the bones of America. The bones hold it together. I don't know the exact statistic, but I think it is something on the order of 98% of our people live in urban areas and only 2% are farmers. Wow. It's amazing that 2% of our country grows all the food for the other 98%. There is a tug of war over water between cities and farms. We think of this tug of war as being uniquely Western because of limited precipitation. But early in her book, A Ditch in Time, about the formation and growth of the Denver Water Department, Patty Limerick made the observation that no matter how much rainfall an area gets, piling a bunch of people in a dense urban settlement will create a need for more water than the immediate area offers. She says this is not a pattern unique to the American West, but the urban acquisition of rural water resources causes farmers to resent moving more rural water into an urban area. This also affects the American East and indeed most of the planet. 
There's a sharp poem in her book that succinctly says that rural and urban are intimately connected. It is called Lessons of Interconnections. Rural and urban places are tangled together like laces. They're like sister and brother. They depend on each other. They have never been opposite cases. This is a message I would most like to convey. We are in this together. There should be no resentment. Each should do what is best for itself while considering the other a brother. Those farmers that want to continue farming may band together to make sure they get all the water they ever got. But those that want to sell should feel free to do so. I said I would call out good people. Patty Limerick is the faculty director and board chair of the Center of the American West at the University of Colorado. She is also a professor of history and environmental studies. She succinctly states problems and offers solutions, always with a great sense of humor. I hope you have the chance to hear her speak. After listening to the first four episodes of this podcast, you might conclude that I am anti-farming. No, I am pro-private property rights, and I hate to see a stigma attached to a farmer if he decides to sell his water rights, his private property rights. Sure, let's stretch our water. By the way, it's really not our water. It's water that comes from private water rights already established. All I'm saying is that we need to be prepared for buy and dry and not act like it is a dirty word. In five years, if a group of farmers want to sell their water, I'm happy to introduce them to investors or cities that can maximize the value of their farms and water. You know, I talk to people. I gather information. That's essentially what I've done for my career. And I've talked to lots of farmers. They're just like the urban folk. Some are grumpy, some jovial, some quiet, some too serious, but nice people all. They work hard, they are honest, and above all, they are doing what they think is best for their families. I'm talking about Gary, Scott, Dan, Bob, Lynn, Dave, Kevin, Joel, Gene, Jeff, Todd, and many others. All great people that I respect and admire. Yes, as a group, they want to keep water on the farms. That is their lifeblood. But they should be able to do with their water what they want to do with it. I'll interview some of these farmers later in the podcast series to get their point of view. I know a couple of them will jump at the chance to say what they think should be done. I have yet to meet a dishonest farmer. I like them all. I'm on their side. But the reality is that cities will eventually come knocking on farmers' door. Let them in, see what they have to say, and then make a decision. I want the farmers to do what they want to do with their private property rights, particularly their water rights, since this is their water and it's probably the largest asset they own. I've sketched out how I kept a roof over our heads by doing business development about half the time for the large construction company. The other half of my time, I continued to pursue what I thought would be opportunities in water in Colorado.
Chips Berry, former manager of the Denver Water Department, asked me if I were able to make a living in water. No, but I was hooked on water and wanted to do work related to water. It was interesting. So I plugged along doing what I wanted to related to water. That is, studying water and asking lots of questions about how water works. Since cities need water, can't they figure out a way to stretch their water supplies? Well, yes. Denver has been promoting water conservation and that has been so successful that Denver now uses 20% less water than just a few years ago. Two cities are sharing each other's infrastructure and possibly water rights to maximize use of their portfolio of water. Denver and Aurora created the WISE project to stretch water supplies. WISE stands for Water Infrastructure Supply Efficiency. Denver and Aurora are big cities with lots of water rights and lots of infrastructure. That's nice, but it seems to leave out other growing cities such as North Glen, Arvada, Longmont, Loveland, Firestone, Frederick, Johnstown, and many other rapidly growing cities. These cities compete with each other. Every city wants the cleanest and best paying jobs to come to their city. City A may tell companies they have the best schools. City B may say they have the best roads and access to the airport. City C may tout how well educated their citizens are. But a major part of that competition is to be able to claim that they have water to serve both the company and houses that will be built to serve that company's future employees. So cities are in competition for water. That has driven up the price of water and the value of water assets. Something else very interesting. Cities have institutional memory. City A remembers when City B opposed a water transfer that would have helped City A. And City A is going to get even when City B needs a change of use in water court. Sometimes I think cities oppose each other's applications to vent their grudges until city managers move on, retire, or die off, those grudges linger on. Cities sometimes join together to farm projects that can store slash produce more water. The NISP project is currently in the permitting phase and 15 cities are set to share in the water from that project. But it has been in the permitting stage for 17 years with no certain end in sight. I will talk about NISP in a few minutes. So what do these competing cities do until NISP type projects come online? By the way, I don't know of another NISP type project on the books or even in the planning stages. Cities may not be buying water directly, but they are asking rather requiring developers to bring water to them in exchange for services, potable water and others. So lots of developers are out there buying water. This is an indirect way that cities are buying water. And where's this water coming from? Farms, that's where the water is. 
Farmers that don't sell bark the refrain, oh, but what are we going to eat? Pure nonsense. Coloradans are proud of the cornfields in Well County that are maybe 200 yards wide and 20 miles long under the ditch. Pretty dang impressive. Until you drive across Iowa, southern Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio, as far as the eye can see in all directions is corn eight foot tall and they are not irrigating it. They don't call the Midwest the breadbasket of the country for no reason. Many perceptions about water are unhinged. I took a photo of a huge billboard in central Michigan showing four caricatures of people with soda straws sucking water out of Lake Michigan and Lake Huron. A Texas cowboy had a straw in Lake Michigan, as did a Utah skier. A surfer from California and a sombrero-wearing New Mexican had straws in Lake Huron. The title on the billboard was, Back Off Suckers. That picture is on the photo gallery page of our website, nowater.com. Take a look. Remember, that's K-N-O-W-water.com. It's incredible to me that the Great Lakes states fear Western states building big pipelines and moving water more than a thousand miles. Water is about the heaviest substance on earth, right up there with rocks. The enormity of the expense would kill any such plans. We could pay farmers 10 times the value of their farms and still be cheaper than building such a project. And California sits on the ocean and can desalinate water much cheaper than moving water from the Great Lakes. Crazy thinking. Unfortunately, Colorado does not abut the ocean. We have to look at reallocation of existing resources. Remember, 85% of Colorado's water is used in ag. How can so much of such a valuable resource be controlled by an industry that contributes only 10% to the state's economy? I'm not anti-ag, I'm just pro-property rights. It's the individual farmer's property right. They can keep it and farm forever, or they can sell it. Mom and pop would have plenty of money to retire comfortably if that's what they choose to do. It's their choice. If the mom and pop farmers, those that want to sell, sell roughly 15% of the water used in Colorado, you double the city's water supply. I'm guessing that doubling the city's water supplies would get cities on down the road another 75 plus years before they needed even more water. What would reducing the ag supply by 15% do to the state's economy? Well, gee, since a reduction in farm water use from 85% to 70%, about a 20% reduction, would seem to imply that the ag contribution to the state's economy might fall from about 10% to 8% a 20% reduction. Seems to make sense to me. Still plenty of irrigated farms, 
buy and dry seems to be a solution that we should not throw away. I think it will come back. Ag supporters will talk about secondary impacts and that small towns will wither and die. More to analyze and contemplate in future episodes. We took a little detour to talk about buying dry. It's a flashpoint with a lot of people, but something has to be done. I'm sure many cities talk about it every council meeting. They also discuss the need to buy only senior water rights, those rights that get water every year. After all, city citizens like to take a shower every day of every year, not just in the wet years. So cities are going to have to invest in lots of infrastructure to buy, obtain water, and move it back to the cities. What the heck are cities going to do for more water? Building new reservoirs to catch the high spring runoff that will run out of the state and into the Gulf of Mexico continues to be an option. The reservoir option is tough, given the environmental hurdles that exist today. Cities and water districts in Colorado have not given up on the idea of new dams to save, collect water when the big runoff comes. Northern Colorado Water Conservancy District, also known as Northern Water, plans to build two new reservoirs, Glade Reservoir northwest of Fort Collins and Galton Reservoir north and a little east of Greeley. These two reservoirs would work in tandem to supply high quality water to the city participants from Glade and maintain ag supplies from Gelton. 15 Northern Colorado cities are participating. I have been following this project closely for a very long time. It has been in the permitting stage for 17 years. That's plum crazy. I am an environmentalist. I think we all are. No one wants to see the earth damaged. In fact, the byline of my first consulting firm was progress within environmental tolerances. And I think that is the way to approach all projects. We can't stop everything in its tracks. Our beautiful country should keep developing its resources in a responsible way. But 17 years, come on. Personally, I think the greatest infrastructure project ever built in this country was the interstate highway system. It started in the late 1950s because then General Dwight Eisenhower had seen what a boon to Germany the Autobahn Highway was. When he was elected president in 1952, he pushed for a national highway program. Can you imagine if that had started after all the environmental laws were passed in the 1970s? Not one mile of the interstate system would have been built. We are all environmentalists, but we can't just insist that nothing move forward. I am in favor of a time limit on environmental permitting for water projects and other things. Sure, collect all environmental data you can, but at some point you have to make a decision. Three years should be enough time to collect data and evaluate it. You'll never know everything. 
collect as much data as possible, make a decision, and move on. City dwellers want to grow grass for their kids to roll around in. Farmers want to keep all the water on the farm. This is what makes water so dang interesting. Just keep watching the news and listening to this podcast to form your own decisions as to what should be done. There is so much more to talk about in this podcast series. We need to cover recycling sewage, water court actions, how ditches work, east slope versus west slope, interstate compacts, groundwater, paper water, yes, paper water, augmentation, and other issues. And I hope to start interviewing experts, managers, farmers soon to get their options. You'll like what they have to say. I'm sure you've heard enough for one session. Please remember that I am not an expert. These are just my observations. I feel like a pinball being bounced against all these issues for 25 years. Some knowledge has worn off on me and I have formed opinion. My opinions will keep coming and probably get me excommunicated from the Water Buffalo Society. And yes, I'll explain what water buffaloes are. If you want to reach out to me, contact me at Tommy at nowater.com, K-N-O-W-water.com. I'm always looking for feedback. I'll sign off for now. Relax. Listen to the sound of a gentle mountain stream. See you next time.